0: Uh, I'm joining in on this gathering this morning from my home here in Abbotsford, British Columbia. And this area is the traditional land of the Semiamu, Stolo, and Kwatlin people. We acknowledge this uh, as a way of being reminded to be grateful for this beautiful land and for these First Nations. And, oh my goodness, it's April 30th. Um, The extra daylight each day both in the morning and the evening is so welcome and so and so is your presence with us here at the bridge uh particularly on this zoom gathering this morning my name is Eden and along with the lovely Sarah Pickering we co-lead this faith community three years ago we could not have imagined that we would have folks joining our gatherings from outside of the lower mainland of British Columbia. But here we are and here you are. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We are better with you. So let's just uh, open in prayer. Uh, Creator, it's a little overwhelming sometimes when I look around and I see who you have assembled in this gathering. Such beautiful people, full of life and love and a bit of vinegar. And we are grateful for you, your ongoing and unending presence in our gatherings, for the way you use our voices to share what's on your heart, for how we can see you in each other, and for how your presence is palpable through each other. Thank you for loving us so extravagantly. Amen.
1: Hi. We're at our little cabin in Washington. I've been asked
2: to lead a Visio Divina this morning. And um, as I understand it, Visio Divina is looking at a piece of art, uh, prayerfully meditating um, to see what the Holy Spirit might call your attention to. So today we're going to, we'll be looking at this Easter garden that I planted. I have planted many of these over the years, and um, perhaps they hold the most meaning to me as I experienced building the tomb, placing the cross, putting the rock over the grave. um, Over the tomb's entrance, I should say, sowing the rye seed and placing the angel on Easter morning and rolling that rock away. Planting and tending the garden, spritzing it frequently, keeps my mind on the season. I'm really surprised how deeply significant that is. So, get comfortable, relax, and see where this goes. I invite you to take a look at the various parts of this garden and imagine if this was the tomb that Jesus was buried in. Imagine it is Easter morning. Imagine you are
1: in deep grief and you come to care for Jesus' body. Be still. Look, feel, and notice. meditate on that how is god speaking to you what why do you think that part drew your attention is there an emotion rising in your heart is there a message here for you today let this simmer Respond to God. Talk to him about the yearnings or desires that may have been stirred in your heart. Talk to him about anything in your that's come to your mind. Side note, how excited do you think that angel is to announce that the grave is empty? <laughs> savor stillness for a while while leaning into the one who loves you more
2: than you can ever imagine be soothed by the enveloping
1: love of your risen savior jesus and yes that relationship can be so close and so informal You can call him by his first name, Jesus. If you want to respond in the chat, some of the things that stood out to you are welcome. Thanks for asking me. to, to do this, Luffy. There we go. So if you have
3: your elements? We'll start with communion. I was aware that I became aware this last week that there is an indigenous version of not the Bible um, translation, but um, of the New Testament. And I had wanted to use it um, uh, for this today, but I was unable to find anything other than the Lord's Prayer that you didn't have to go in and pay for. So we'll be keeping our eyes open for that. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. No one who finds me will ever be hungry again. Those believing in me will never thirst. We gather around these symbols of bread and wine, elements of both the hope that supports us and the power of God's love. Let us pray. Loving God, you are as close to us as our breath. Your love surrounds us and is available to all. Thank you, Creator.
4: We remember on the night when Jesus and the disciples had their last meal. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat it, and remember me.
3: In the same way, he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to the disciples, saying, Drink this, all of you. This cup is the new eternal hope poured out for you and for many. Do this as often as you drink to remember the hope that is found in me. In the symbol of the cup, we participate in the new life and hope that Jesus brings.
4: Let us pray. We give thanks, loving God, that you have refreshed us with your love at your table. Help us to be stronger in our faith. Increase our love for others beyond our own view of the world. May we go out into the world to plant seeds of transformation, affirmation, hope, and above all, love. Amen. Amen. So um, as we look after the communion, Brenda is coming to speak uh, today uh actually she's right in front of us where she's coming from um but uh we're going to pray pray for brenda and uh, support her in this let's just bow our heads oh lord we thank you so much for brenda we thank you for the opportunity to um hear what she has to share today we thank you for the journey that you have given her and that uh, we become part of that journey that you have for her and all the all the things all the parts of her life that have come together uh we're going to be part of that today as well Thank you for your encouragement over time in her life that she can share with us today and uh, make us a part of all that is happening with us as a community as well. Thank you for who she is, for what she is doing today and for what you have for us in the future. Amen.
5: Okay, so I'm on.
1: <laughs>
5: We're trying to figure out whether we should close the curtain or open the curtain. Um, I don't know what's better, but anyway, I think you can see me and hear me. So, oh, now we have some real light happening. (laughs) Okay. I was given, uh, let's see. I don't know what it was now. I'm kind of lost track. Eight different scriptures out of the lectionary. And, um, after reading through them, I realized, oh, this is, this is, um, the fourth week of Easter. So um, I I did sort of get a little bit of a theme after a while. It took me some time reading through them, um, but it, it did take a little bit of reading and scratching my head and like, hmm, what am I going to say? But um, I started with Psalm um, 119, which is... Um, I'm sure most of you know it's the longest psalm in the Psalms and what I learned that I didn't know was that David just did some hunting around and apparently David um, wrote this to help teach his son Solomon the Hebrew alphabet. So there's all these different uh, psalms and they're all about teaching Solomon something so I thought that was interesting anyway um, I was given Psalm 119. Verses 97 through 104. So I'll just read it and um, then talk about it a little bit. A bit of a frog in my throat. throat. Oh, how I love all you've revealed. I reverently ponder it all day. Your commands give me an edge on my enemies. They never become obsolete. I've even become smarter than my teachers since I've pondered and absorbed your counsel. This is the message, by the way. So um, that's the one I'm using. I've become wiser than the old sages simply by doing what you tell me. I watch my step, avoiding the ditches and the ruts of evil so I can spend all my time keeping your word. I never make detours from the route you laid out. You gave me such good directions. Your words are so choice- and tasty. I prefer them to the best home cooking. With your instruction, I understand life. That's why I hate false propaganda. So when I first read it, I thought, okay, well, you know, we have aha moments and there's times in our lives where pieces just fit into the puzzle and it works. And we all, you know, have these experience experiences where you know, it's true. We do get direction and it is amazing when it happens. And then I read it again and I thought, well, actually, truthfully on the first read, I did kind of feel this way, but I was trying to be like, what, you know, what's really inspiring about this? And I just thought, I thought, wow, David is really like, there's no uh, uncertainty. There is no room for like sometimes I walk on the path and sometimes I slip off or it's just very, very um absolute. I've become smarter than my teachers, wiser. So he's now like better than everyone else. It seems like, you know, I've spent all my time, not some of my time when I can fit it in, but all my time, I never make detours, you know, and then the clincher at the end is the meaning of life. Uh, because of this, I understand the meaning of life. There's no like that's a huge isn't that the question we all ask like what's the meaning of life and um it seems like there's no room for questions or uncertainty or ambiguity or gray. It's just very boom, and um, it just kind of hit me. i thought i don't i think questions and uncertainty are not only something that we, um, I think we should embrace questions. We should um, let uncertainty not just come when it wants to come, (laughs) because it certainly does, but we should really embrace it. I was thinking of Mm -hmm. questions and how an honest question from our hearts is like really a sacred thing. It's not meant to be a, uh, a negative thing and in the context of just having kids, and you want them to ask any question you want them to feel safe, and you want them to
1: mm-hmm.
5: be in the kind of relationship with you where any question is any question is okay, and not because you know you have all the answers, but because that place of safety is the kind of relationship you want. You don't want that tight fisted sort of when you can't ask, you feel squashed, you feel a tightness in your chest. You feel like, oh, there's just no room for me to wonder. I can't, I can't explore this. I'm not allowed. So having said all that, um, I thought it was a good uh, transition to the theme that I felt um in the next, in the verses that followed, um, that I feel pretty unqualified to teach about because I'm not really a teacher, but um, it's um, and not surprising as we're dealing with Easter still is um, the resurrection. That's what kept coming up: the life, and um, and so the first verse that I had was in Matthew. And um, it is Matthew 22, 23 to 33. And um, just to give you some context, and then I'll read it. It's when the Sadducees approach Jesus, and they're trying to sort of trick him to talking about the resurrection. Apparently, this group of people didn't believe anything about resurrection. They just thought there's no such thing. So they're basically trying to... Get him to talk about it and see if they can corner him in some way. So I'll just read this and um, talk about some of the thoughts I had. The same day, the Sadducees approached him. And again, this is the message. So um, this is the party that denies any possibility of resurrection. They asked, teacher, Moses said that if a man dies childless, his brother is obligated to marry his widow and get her with child. I don't like that grammar, but anyway, here's a case where there were seven brothers. The first brother married and died, leaving no child, and his wife passed to his brother. The second brother also left her childless, then the third, and on, and on, and on, and on. And through all seven, eventually the wife died. Well, that's not surprising. That doesn't sound like a very easy life. But what I was thinking, I'm sure it's a hypothetical story, but I was yeah. thinking it was a true story. First of all, this woman is like smart. She managed to have seven husbands and not have kids with any of them. And I also thought, fleetingly, it's kind of suspicious that they all left and she was still standing. I was like, wow, <clears throat> she was um, a smart woman if she really lived, even though she didn't survive. Anyway, the point of it is jesus' answer he says in one in another in another translation, he says, "You're all wrong, so he shuts them down completely, and then in the message, it says, You're off base on two counts. You don't know your Bibles first of all, and you don't know how God works at the resurrection. We're beyond marriage." As with the angels, all our ecstasies and intimacies then will be with God, wrapped up in God. All of that stuff you're talking about, all of those identities we have, all of those things, they all are lost in God. So, and regarding your speculation on whether the dead are raised or not, don't you read your Bibles? The grammar is clear. God says, I am not I was, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the living God defines himself, not as the God of dead man, but the God of living. Hearing this exchange, the crowd was much impressed. And so I love how Jesus just, he just somehow takes everything they've said, all their clever talk, and just spins it around and says, this is not what you think it's about. It's about now. It's about who I am. It's about the God of the living. It's about you. You're alive. I'm I'm it's about here and now. And um we try to make it about other things and Jesus just keeps bringing it back to I am. I am now.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: I am here, right? Yeah.
4: Um
5: so the next verse was a story that we've all read the story of Lazarus, John 11 verses 17 to 27. Um, I'll just read it, and you, you'll be able to see the common theme here <clears throat> as we go. When Jesus finally got to the grave or tomb, um, he found Lazarus already four days dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away, and many of the Jews were visiting Martha and Mary sympathizing with them over their brother. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him. Mary remained in the house. Martha said, Master, if you if you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died, even now. I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. Jesus said, your brother will be raised up. Martha said, I know that he will be raised up, in the resurrection at the end of time so again we have the what's going to happen what are we looking for and the jews believed that there would be like a time when everyone who believed would be raised up jesus says you don't have to wait for the end (laughs) i am right now resurrection and life—that's such
1: like,
5: isn't that such good news? And I think there was a much bigger picture he was trying to paint for her than just the moment. Although, obviously, the moment was very uh, profound for her because her brother just died. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me will not ultimately die. Do you believe this? She says, "Yes, Master. All along, I believed that you were the Messiah." the son of God who comes into the world. So again, Jesus is 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 taking, he's trying to move things away from an event, this event of raising Lazarus up. And he's trying to say, I am, I am the life and I am present always. If tomorrow comes, it will be me present now with you and right now. And I just thought that was, it's just wonderful how Jesus keeps doing that he keeps bringing it back to right here right now in in the person of who he is right um, did you yeah. have something to say
6: well i I was just thinking about uh this this passage uh that I suppose Paul would have written uh attributed to Paul is uh this this idea that all of us uh the one of those moments are one of those big questions that we have you know are we alone will we be abandoned you know this thing of resurrection who you know like are we going to be with you uh we're we're very concerned about this what happens after we die
1: Mm -hmm. and
6: Jesus is saying it's always pulling the focus away from from that what might be in the future to what is will always be in what is what is so so paul says something along the lines of i am convinced that nothing death Mm -hmm. nor life nor celestial beings all the Mm -hmm. crazy nutty angels demons height depth nothing can actually separate us from the love of god nothing can so i think that is ties into these this this kind of anxiety we have of Mm -hmm. what's going to happen to us when we when we die and then we miss out on the fact that the, our biggest question is are we alone or are we loved always mm-hmm. um, we don't know what happens after we die quite frankly
1: mm-hmm.
6: um so i think the bigger question is is uh are we loved uh, yes. in or outside of these dimensions mm-hmm. so, yeah.
5: yeah that's good i forgot to mention that my husband's going to be jumping in here and there or it could be whatever so <laughs> that was philip And, you know, you all know Philip. So, um, okay. The last verse, um, that was on the thing that I really kind of jumped out at me and I've read this so many times over the years. And frankly, it's been a bit of a, a bit of a confusing, um, passage trying to figure out, so how exactly does that work? Um, I don't know, but, um, we'll just read it and we'll talk about it and, See if we can make some come to some kind of um, peaceful resolution. (laughs) Um, It is Romans 6, and um, Paul, it's Romans 6, uh, 5 to 11. And Paul's talking, first of all, about baptism. And you all know if you've been to a baptism, they talk about how you go into the water, and that signifies death, being united in death. And when you come up, you are with Jesus in new life. And, um, you have a new life. It's a, it's a, that's what it said. That's how it's, that's how it's explained. Um, and then he goes on to talk about the cross. And so I'll just read it. This is what happens, um, in baptism, in baptism, we are baptized into the life of Jesus. When we are lowered into the water, it's like a burial. It's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up, Out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? And it could be for me, but (laughs) our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this, if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. There's a lot of up-down going on here. which seems a little strange to me but from now on think of it this way sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you god speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word you are dead to sin and alive to god that's what jesus did so this whole inclusive um talk of inclusivity i remember trying to understand what actually what what does it actually mean included and i i I used to think okay if you believe then jesus is on the cross and i'd have this picture of sort of like to try to understand it was sort of like a big funnel and it's not meant to be funny but (laughs) i was honestly trying to figure it out like a big funnel of just people believers who were drawn into the cross as Jesus was there. And when they died, something in them died, something, some exchange, something physiological, some sort of button was shut off, some sin button, some sort of nature was washed away. And in the rising of Jesus, we were made new. And then I thought, okay, that's too narrow. Oh, it must be everyone. I came to think of it as more a broader thing. So everyone was in this being drawn into Jesus and like with him in his death. And then when he rose, we were all free to choose. And that's sort of how I would see it, but still it was like, okay, I still don't really understand how, how, how it happened. What is actually happening to us? What is changing in us? Because there's such a broad swath of people who have believed, and I've seen it myself, some people believe and seem to be included, and there's this 180-degree turn, like life, all of a sudden, you believe, and all sorts of things fall off them, and life is just freer and changed, and they never go back. And then there's some people who, it seems like, hmm, not so much. Like it there's this very gradual falling off of things and there's this process, a long process and painful process of letting go of things and transformation and then, and the rising up feels like, well, it feels like sin is not really that gone. Like, to be honest, like, is it gone or is it not gone? Like it's, it's a very sort of wide spectrum. And I'm glad I talked about questions because obviously I have lots of them (laughs) and maybe some of you don't have so many and it's all good, but I'm just, you know, trying to figure out what it actually all means. And, um, in the end, I, I, I don't know exactly which hard conclusions I've come to. I do know that, um, like Philip said, there's nothing that can separate us and whatever happened, I believe it really did affect all of humanity. And I don't I I just feel like it's important to live in the mystery of it practically and to take what's true in your own heart and in your own life to take that and to to really embrace it and to give it room and to give yourself room to have all the questions you need to have and not be feel like God is threatened or someone else is threatened or you you are in a precarious place because you're questioning the questioning journey is important um Mm -hmm. so um something that something else that I do want to read that I found really helpful and this is the last thing I'm going to read is from um Richard Rohr um he's a Franciscan um priest teacher author monk he um lives in new mexico and has written lots of books and um he recently did a devotional on resurrections called the resurrection of all things and um i just found it really helpful because he has a way with words of just um getting into your 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 wondering and your questions and kind of opening things up so that you can think about it in a broader way so that's what he does in this for me. Anyway, I wanted to read it because I thought it would be helpful. He says, <clears throat> I want to enlarge your view of resurrection from a one-time miracle yeah. in the life of Jesus that asks for a and belief to a pattern of creation that has always been true and that invites us to much more than the belief in a single miracle. Yeah. We must, it must be more than a private victory of one man to prove that he is God. Resurrection and renewal are, in fact, the universal and observable pattern of everything. We might just as well use non religious terms like springtime, regeneration, healing, forgiveness, life cycles, darkness, and light. If incarnation is real and spirit has inhabited matter from the beginning, then resurrection in multitudinous forms is to be not kind of wondered about, but he says fully expected. And I just think that's, that's so hopeful. Um, the Christ mystery anoints physical matter with eternal purpose from the very beginning. We should not be surprised that the word we translate from the Greek as Christ comes from the Hebrew Hebrew messiah i think that's how you say it which means anointed one or messiah jesus the christ reveals that all is anointed Mm -hmm. if the universe is anointed or christened from the beginning then of course it can never die It makes perfect sense and this is the the line that i just really love he says resurrection is just incarnation taken to its logical conclusion Resurrection is just incarnation taken to its logical conclusion. I just thought just really, I, I love that. If God inhabits matter, then we can naturally believe in the resurrection of the body. Most simply said, nothing truly good can die. Trusting that is probably our real act of faith. Nothing good can truly die. Resurrection is presented by Paul as a general principle of reality. He doesn't argue for a one-time anomaly and then ask us to believe in this Jesus miracle. Instead, Paul names the cosmic pattern and then says in many places that the spirit carried in our hearts is the icon, the guarantee, the pledge, the promise, the down payment, of that universal message. So the last thing he says here is the one reason we can trust Jesus' resurrection is that we can already see resurrection happening everywhere else. Nothing is the same forever, states modern science. Geologists with good evidence can prove that no landscape is permanent over millennia. Water, fog, steam, ice are all the same thing, but at different stages and temperatures. Resurrection is another word for change, but particularly positive change, which we tend to see only in the long run, over the course of time. In the short run, it often looks just like death. (laughs) The preface of the Catholic funeral liturgy says, life is not ended, it is merely changed. Mm -hmm. Science is now giving us a very helpful language for what religion rightfully intuited and imagined, albeit in mythological language. Remember, myth does not mean untrue, which is a common misunderstanding. It actually refers to things that have always been true. So. um, Jesus first incarnate life his passing over into death and his resurrection into the ongoing Christ life is the archetype archetypal model for the entire pattern of creation. He is the microcosm for for the whole cosmos and the map of the whole journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I so appreciate that Richard Rohr, just opening that up and saying, you know, when reason fails you, there's actually a much broader perspective when common sense, just, you can't fit it into faith sometimes it's like, well, this doesn't really make sense, but it doesn't mean that we have to throw it all out or just buckle down and say, I don't care. It doesn't make sense. I still have to believe it this way. There's a, there's another way. There's a broader perspective. There's an opening of our minds and our hearts that we can do so that we don't have to just sort of walk away or be, you know, what's the word? This I don't know. Disillusioned. Yes, disillusioned. No. That's it. Disillusioned.
6: Ding,
5: ding, ding. ding. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Thank you, thank you, my husband. Um, so yeah, so uh, that's that's the Sarah asked me if I had the talk this morning before I started, and I was like, "What's the talk? I have the talk? Do I have the talk?" <laughs> and then I realized she was talking about this, not like something called the talk. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the talk. <laughs>
6: I was thinking that uh, Philip
5: has something else to say. The
6: this point of uh resurrection is just incarnation taken to its logical conclusion. Yes.
5: Uh
6: I think I think perhaps maybe for me uh, what I what I like about this is as opposed to just simply saying you have to believe in this one time, however it was, you know, Jesus uh the yeah, much more than just belief in a miracle, that resurrection actually is a pattern that, mm-hmm. that we've seen in, in this life of Christ. But it's actually, it's a universal kind of thing about death and life. And ultimately, is the is this whole thing that we're in, are we, is it ultimately, is it, is it a loving, with the chaos, with the unpredictability, with the losses, where's the trajectory? For this right and that's the thing about resurrection that the, the part that we just we wake up every morning and we just there's just something inside of us that says there's always there's always something new that will present itself that will mm-hmm. just bring life uh you know we say god is love you know is is this thing that we're in ultimately love or is it not and that's the part that that we we have to experience and we have just whatever moments that we have had in our lives we go you know what um i feel like it's true and i'm going to reiterate it again i i i i do trust that nothing can separate me mm-hmm. nothing can separate me from this ultimate reality of of this movement uh we call love we we say god god is mm-hmm. um and so the the resurrection is a, more to me is about this, this incredible pattern uh mm-hmm.
5: yeah so. yeah so that's all folks
6: <laughs> it, it's so funny when you're when when you're chatting here it's it is so quiet you, i you can't can even hear the pin drop it's talking so, to it's, the wall it's so weird and, you know you see people smiling and people but it's like dead silent and you're like
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
5: anybody there <laughs> <laughs>
0: That was awesome. Uh, and maybe we should all learn how to sign language LOL or something yeah. for you, right? because um, there was, I was definitely laughing out loud a couple of times. Um, good job. Like,
5: oh thank you. Um
0: we we need to be able to kind of scratch at some of the things that we um perhaps understood or thought were kind of emphatic and, Mm -hmm. and were, um, were set in stone Mm -hmm. and, and maybe actually there, there is something broader, um, something richer, deeper that we could understand about our faith and how it plays out um, that could really actually help us. Um, to recognize kind of what we want to what we want to cling to and what we want to let go mm-hmm. of right mm-hmm. yeah so um Jesus when you walked on this earth you seemed to really enjoy being in gardens so would you draw us to the garden this week would you walk with us and help us to notice what's coming up what's already spent what's yet to come. And would you please translate that for our hearts so that we can enjoy the hope that you bring. Amen.